Ryan, if I hadn't had the pleasure of meeting you yet. And we are continuing through our sermon series on Romans this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and start finding your way to Romans. And if you missed last week, or this is your first week with us, um, just recap a little bit of last week. Pastor Horner was teaching on the power of the gospel to save. And he just hit a couple verses in Romans chapter one of just, this is a little piece of the gospel, but it's a powerful gospel that we're going to learn about. Now, right after these couple verses that we read, that we read last week in Romans chapter one, Paul from here on till chapter three is just going to lay out sin after sin after sin and laying out that everybody is a sinner from those in a third world country uh, that don't have all this technology from the Roman people at that time who lived in great houses and had great culture. They were sinners to even religious people that were Jewish at that time. Even they were sinners. And so Paul, the next three, three chapters is just laying this on thick. And it's intentional that he's laying this on thick because what he's doing is he's showing us the disease before he really expounds on the cure. And what we see is that we all have this sin in our, in our lives that is it's a cancer. It's a cancer that's fatal to our souls. And so that's what Paul's going to lay out today for us, this picture of sin. And in the next couple of weeks, he's going to lay out this picture of sin. And then for the rest of the book of Romans, after chapter three, he's going to show us this is the cure. This is the beauty of the gospel. And this is why we need it. So we'll be in Romans chapter one, and we'll start in verse 18. And before we dive into the text, I heard about this lady. This is from a couple years ago, but this lady in South Africa had received an inheritance from her mother. And it were these very valuable gold coins. They were called Kruger sovereigns. And she received these coins from her mother and didn't really care that they were that, they were that valuable. I mean, just one of these coins minted, minted in 1890, which these were, is worth over a thousand U.S. dollars. And this lady, I mean, this made the news. This lady gets these and just mixes them in with her regular change. She puts it in her change purse and doesn't really value this really valuable coin. And so she goes shopping one day at Cape Fear and she pulls up in her parking spot and she has to feed the parking meter. So she pulls out her change purse. She digs through there and she just drops a coin in. And then she realizes that the coin that she has dropped in there was one of these Kruger sovereign coins worth a thousand dollars. Now just to put this in perspective, if you park at downtown Raleigh to see a show at like Mamandy Hall or something like that, it's one dollar for one hour of parking. So for this lady to get her money's worth in parking, she'd have to be there more than 41 days. (laughs) She'd have to sit there for 41 days to get her money's worth for this coin. And I hear this story and I think, this is crazy. Who in their right mind would treat something so valuable with such carelessness. And, and what kind of person would take something that was so significant and trade it away for something that was so insignificant as a parking spot? And as I ask that question, what we'll see in this text in Romans today, the answer to that question, who would, would act like that, is you would. And I would. Paul in this text is going to lay out that what we do is we take the infinite God and we exchange him for the finite sin. 
that we look at the extremely valuable, glorious Savior, and we reject it. We throw it away for something so insignificant. So who would do that? You would, and I would. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to this this honoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray. Take a moment right now just to pray that God would speak to you through his word this morning. Take a moment to pray for me that I would communicate his truth clearly this morning. Father, we read this text and it flies in our face as offensive because we are sinners and we don't want to be sinners. Lord, so we want to push back on this. We want to suppress this truth and reject it and ultimately exchange it for something less valuable. But Lord, I pray that today you would help us to soften our hearts and lead us to repentance, lead us to refreshment in you. And God, that we would remember this, that it would settle on our minds and not rush through it like water through a pipe. But Lord, that we would remember your truth and be doers of your word and not just hearers only. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in this text, what Paul does is he walks through the process of how we get to this point. How do we get to this point where we're exchanging this valuable thing for something that is insignificant? And Paul walks through this and he's got these kind of three tier process, this slippery slope that we go through. And the first thing we see is that we suppress the truth in verse 18. We suppress the truth. Now, the truth that this is talking about here is the truth that there is a God and we are accountable to him. There is a God and we are accountable to him. This is the truth that we see. And the the idea of being accountable to him, we see in verse 18, for the wrath of God has been revealed again from heaven against all ungodliness. This is our sin against God and all unrighteousness. This is our sin against man. So it hits everything. And then we suppress this truth that there is a God, there's a creator, and that he, we are accountable to him. We suppress it with our unrighteousness. Guys, this wrath that's mentioned here What Paul is doing is he's showing us our desperate need for the gospel, our desperate need for a savior. 
Just a couple verses earlier, if you look back what we talked about last week, you'll see that the righteousness of God has been revealed. God is holy, he is righteous, and now we see the wrath of God is being revealed. God is both righteous and wrathful. And some of the times we suppress the truth by only claiming that God is love. We only want to highlight one piece of God and say, well, God is so loving that he's not going to judge me. God's going to let things pass. He's going to let things slide by because God is so loving. And we so we only highlight one part of God, which is true. God is love, but God is just as well, and he is righteous. And so sin cannot remain in the presence of God. One of the most beautiful things that we see is the cross. We get to see both of these. We see God's love because he loved you so much that he came and died on the cross for your sins. But he hated sin so much that he came and he died on the cross and gave his life to pay the penalty for our sins. This is the God whom we are accountable to. This is the God who created all things, but we want to suppress this truth by only highlighting God's love. Or maybe it's not even that. We just suppress the truth with busyness. We want to drown out this truth that there is a God and we're accountable to him by just being busy all the time. That we'll find purpose and meaning in life if we just work hard enough, if we fill our calendars, if we give 110%, then we won't have to think about this truth that there is a God and that we are accountable to him. We also try to choke out or smother this truth and the voice of truth in our lives by justifying our sins. Even some things that are temporal where we say, well, this is just a one-time thing. It's, it's okay to let this pass by. I'm in a tough time right now with my taxes, and so I, it's okay this year for me to, to cheat on a couple of numbers because it's okay. It's justified because this year I'm in a, in a pinch instead of being honest. I mean, we, we, we drown out this truth by just justifying our sins away. We are, we are the, humanity is the king of excuses where we have one for every selfish thing that we do. And so we're suppressing this truth. We're, we're pushing it down. But the problem is we have two witnesses, two witnesses that continue to show us that this, is, this truth is there. And, and Paul lays it out here. One is that creation reveals that there is a God. It's continually shown in just these first couple verses. Look at verse 18. There's a couple that you might want to just underline here, but the wrath of God is revealed. It is shown. And then the, the very next verse, verse 19, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In verse 20, it talks about his divine power and nature are clearly perceived. And what all this means is that, that God's not playing hide and seek with us. God's not hiding himself from us. No, God's like, you want to seek? Here I am. I'm right here. I'm revealing it to you. I'm showing it to you clearly. So when we drive to church this morning and we see the beautiful sunrise, and I know you did because this is the eight o'clock crowd, you see the beautiful sunrise of that orange and that purple. I mean, that is all shouting the glory of God, that there is a creator, that this just didn't magically happen, but that God spoke it into existence. And I've heard people say, Gosh, I, I don't go to church. I don't go to organized religion. What I do is I go to the church of the woods and they go out there and they're like, it's a, it's a powerful experience. Well, 
it, it is a powerful experience because it points to our creator. It's shouting his glory. And the sunrise, which is seen here as well as in Afghanistan and as well as in Kenya, all that shouts that there's a creator who is holy, but it doesn't preach our salvation. It doesn't show us how to be saved, but it's a witness that shows that we are condemned. So we have the witness of creation, this external witness, but we also have this witness of within, that there's this eternal thing, I mean, internal thing within us that, that shows that there is a God that we're accountable to, and it's the, the law that is written on our hearts. I mean, there's just some things that we know are right or wrong that spans upon across all cultures and all times. I mean, murder is never right. Lying and cheating is never right. It doesn't matter what culture or time that you're in. I mean, there's sometimes that sin is encouraged, but it's never admired. Even in the darkest cultures, it's never admired. If we try to imagine what a culture would look like where it was all built around double-crossing people, it's beyond our thoughts. I mean, who would want to live in that culture where we would lie and cheat and steal because we, there's something within us that knows that right and wrong? It's because God has placed that within us to show that we are sinful and that we need a Savior. All of this is witnessing to us as we try to suppress it and try to push it down and reject it. But the sad thing is when we suppress this truth that there's a creator, what we end up doing is we never understand our purpose. When we suppress this truth, we never really understand why we're here. What is this life all about? when we suppress this truth that there's a God and we're accountable to him, basically what we do is we cut the anchor and we're like a lifeboat that is just sailing the open seas, drifting from place to place. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. We don't understand why the world is the way that it is. Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Why is there longing for more? Because we're suppressing the truth that defines the reality in which we live in. But what's so amazing is that instead of suppressing this truth, if we grasp this truth and we find our place in the bigger story of God's creation, then every part of our life matters. Why am I working this job? To the glory of the Lord. Why am I living in this neighborhood? For the glory of the Lord. Because we get to see that all of history is all about Him. And it's looking to Him. And so my life revolves around Him and not vice versa. I'm not trying to fit Jesus into my schedule. My schedule is about Jesus. So all of my life matters. And we see that from the very creation of the world with Adam and Eve, they were meant to worship their creator. Up until now, we're meant to worship our creator because he alone can satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. And so when we grasp hold of this truth, it changes us. And one of the greatest exchanges we can make is to stop pursuing our own fame and our own glory and exchange it for God's fame and his glory. That's the great exchange that we see. But the wretched exchange that we do is we take this truth and we suppress it. And I wish that was all that we did, but we then reject it. That's what Paul says in verses 21 and 22. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and, full, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So we suppress this truth and now there's this sense of rejecting this truth. So it's like almost a, 
you guys have heard the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. It's almost the flip of that where it's like, hear no good things about God, speak no truth, see no truth. And we're just, we're blinding ourselves to it and we're rejecting and we're pushing away this truth. We're rejecting it. And when we start to reject the truth, what it does is it warps our minds and it warps our hearts. Because this is what we're created to do. We start running against the grain on that and it starts to warp our minds and hearts. So look what it says in verse 25. It says, but they became futile in their thinking. This word for futile means vain or empty or useless. So when the mind is no longer used to treasure or to glorify God, it's it's empty, it's useless, it's vain, it's meaningless. And so you could be the most creative artist, you could be the most educated engineer, but if you're not using your, your mind and treasuring God and using those things to glorify Him, then it's all vanity, it's all useless, it's all worthless. And in 1 Corinthians the word of God even says that God knows the thoughts of the wise, those that we consider educated and really bright. And he says, I know their thoughts and they're futile because they're not using them to glorify the one who made them. They're not using them to glorify the one who gave them that very thought. But when we reject God, not only is our thinking off, but it even jolts our heart, the inner part of us, <laughs> the very center of our lives. It, it, it warps that as well. And Paul talks about they became foolish in their hearts. That means to be unintelligent, basically saying they become stupid in their hearts and it becomes darkened. Why does it become darkened? Because the only light of the world that can go into your heart is Jesus Christ. There's not enough good works that we can do to kindle a flame in our heart. If we reject God, our hearts are flooded with darkness. And there's nothing we can do to bring light there. But Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world, that he brings light into our lives, into our spirits, into our souls. And so when people in our, in our culture, and even us at times, when we exchange the light for the darkness... Christ comes back and he offers us forgiveness and repentance. That light would come back and shine in our hearts again. And then in verse 22, it says, claiming to be fools, or claiming to be wise, they became fools. What's so sad about this is that sometimes we don't even realize the depravity of our situation. These people are claiming to be wise. They think they're wise, but in their wisdom, As they slowly reject God, they become fools. And they don't even realize the situation that they're in. They don't even realize that the very thing that that we reject is the very thing that saves us. The very thing, the very truth that we push away is the only thing that can bring light into our hearts and renew our minds. We reject it and we push it away. I'll never forget several years ago, I went deep sea fishing and we get onto the boat, and there's about five of us guys on the boat, and the captain's explaining to us just where everything is on the boat. Here's where your life preservers are. Here's where the bait's going to be. Here's where your, your uh, 
rods are going to be. And he starts explaining all that. And then he gets to a really important part. He's like, guys, this is really important. Don't miss this. He said, this is the lifesaver. And he pulls out, you know, you, not the candy. You guys, you guys know the, the circle. And he says, this is if you fall into the water and you're drowning, we're going to throw this lifesaver to you and you hold on to it. And what's so interesting is on the lifesaver, it has written around it, fishers of men. And it's so interesting. If you fell out of the boat and somebody threw that to you, you would grab hold to it because that was the very thing that would save you and they'd pull you in, right? But here in this picture, what, what Paul is painting for us is that the truth has been thrown out to us, the truth that can save us. It's the truth that there is a God that we cry out to and we find forgiveness. It's been thrown out to us and what we do is we reject it. Nope, I don't need that. And we push it away. I mean, how, how, how foolish is that to do? The very thing that saves us is the very thing that our hearts want to reject and push away. Now, some of you here, you're, you're thinking, I know you're thinking, you're thinking, I'm a Christian, I'm an eight o'clocker, so this is not really for me, this is for lost people, I don't really struggle for, with, with these issues. No, no, you might be saved from your sins, but still you follow this slippery slope of suppressing the truth and rejecting the truth. And ultimately, what we'll get to, exchanging the truth. And it might not look with exactly like what Paul mentions here. We're like, well, you know, this is for ancient people. I'm not like creating up these little statues that I'm bowing down and worshiping. Well, no, you might be, not be doing that, but your whole life revolves around you and every decision that you make is based upon what good it is for you and not thinking of anyone else. So you haven't like built a statue that you worship, but in your heart, you've set up a throne that you sit on and you worship yourself. So you might be saved from your sins, but you continue to slip and to fall back into these sins by thinking that your glory and your fame is what's really going to fulfill you. When the truth is, no, it's only God that's going to fulfill and satisfy you. We'll slip into the temptations even tonight as we watch the Super Bowl. We'll slip into this temptation of, of envy We'll, we'll forget the truth that God has shaped us and formed us and placed us in your job for a purpose and a reason and has given you value because he has created and made you. We'll forget about that and we'll watch the Super Bowl tonight and what we'll do is we'll envy other people. We'll look at those guys and the fame that they get for winning the Super Bowl and we envy that. Gosh, I wish I had that, that glory and fame. It's just a, a little bit. Not even that grand of a scale, but just a little bit. And our hearts start to be turned to rejecting the truth that God has placed you specifically where you are for a purpose and reason. Or guys or ladies, you'll look at tonight and think, gosh, I wish my body looked like that. I wish I was that strong or I wish I looked that way. And we start to envy other people. Or we start to, to, to have greedy hearts where we think, gosh, that person is getting paid millions of dollars to play at this game tonight. And we start to envy and, and be greedy. And all of this is exchanging the truth of God for a lie. We're rejecting what God has said. And so, no, it might not be rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because you've committed to that, but it's these little, little ways around that we're rejecting and we're suppressing all of this truth. And so, Christians, we are just as guilty as, as following this pattern as, as much as a lost person is. And we should not read the text and be like, well, that's not for me. That's for someone else. No, this is speaking to us. This is speaking to me. This is speaking to you. That this is how sin slithers around in our lives, and we need to stop it. Guys, this, this passage of Scripture is not meant to, to titillize our minds so that we would have this another thought. Oh, there's a little theological thought I'll file away in my brain. No, 
Paul has wrote this text so that we would reject darkness and not the truth. (laughs) He wrote this text so that we would cling to the light. And not only that we would flee from darkness and cling to the light, but that we would share it with others. Our desire is to be on mission to glorify God. And one of the ways we do that is by advancing his kingdom. We live life on mission by going and telling our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our friends about the truth, the the light of the world that can save them. And they might suppress that truth. They might reject that truth. But this is us reaching or pushing them to God, throwing out that lifesaver that they would accept Jesus Christ and find forgiveness of sins. So this is not to build up our minds. This is to cause us to have action, that we would stop rejecting and start repenting of our sins, and that we would call others to do the same. And I, I wish it stopped right here with this great, wretched exchange with suppressing the truth and rejecting the truth. I wish Paul would stop right there, but he doesn't. He takes it to another level, and he says, we ultimately exchange the truth. We ultimately exchange the truth. Verses 23, 24, and 25, what you'll see is Paul's kind of echoing the same thing over and over again. Verse 23 23 says, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. And then verse 25 says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. This is an exchange that's going on. This is our great mutiny against God. Is that we would ultimately exchange him of infinite worth for something that is so insignificant and that will not satisfy. The way we do that is we don't magnify God as the treasure of our lives. Rather, we exchange him for something that is meaningless. We belittle God by preferring other things more than him. Which that in itself is exchanging the truth for a lie. Because these other things, although they are are meant to be enjoyed, God has created good things These good things only point us to something better. These good things were not meant to satisfy our hearts or our deepest longings. That was for God. All these things are to point us to God who is better. But we exchange it, hoping that this lie is ultimately going to fulfill us when it won't. And we worship the creature rather than the creator. One of the scariest passages in all the Bible for me is here in Romans 1, verse 24, where it says, He gave them up to their lusts. And three times in this chapter, Paul does this in verse 24 and 26 and 28. It says, He just gave them over to the lusts of their hearts. And the reason why this scares me so much is because of how Martin Luther explained it. He said, The greatest anger of the Lord is when He stops being angry. The greatest anger of the Lord is when he stops being angry. Where he's like, fine. You want to suppress the truth that I've revealed to you? You want to 
reject it? You want to throw it away? You want to exchange it for a lie? Fine. Go. Go. You want your sin? Have it. See if it'll fulfill you. And that's what happens in the Old Testament. God's people, God leads them out of Egypt and, and he's provided for them in the wilderness and he brings them into the promised land. And ultimately they're wanting more and they, so they start building all these false gods and idols and they start to bow down and worship them. And God says, fine, if you don't want to worship me, the one who has saved you and brought you out of captivity and you want to worship all these idols, fine, I'll take you to the capital of idolatry. I will pull you away and I'll send you to Babylon. And so that's what he does. And what you see is people in Babylon, they're miserable. Their hearts desire these idols that they thought would satisfy them, all these pleasures they thought would satisfy them. And then when they're there, stuck there for those 70 years, they realize that God is better. They didn't want these idols anymore. They, they repent, they turn, and God restores them. God restores them. The way for us out of this slippery slope of suppressing and rejecting and ultimately exchanging the truth, Paul gives us in verse 25. We're just, it's, it's real quick. It was, but it says at the very end of verse 25, who is blessed forever. Or your, your Bible might actually say who is praised forever. Amen. If we want out of this process, we need to be praising God. We need to be thanking God. We need to be looking to God and worshiping Him. We need to be crying out to Him as our Lord and Savior because when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that should cause us to sing out to Him. Not suppress the truth, but grab hold of it and cling to it because it is valuable. We can praise God for so many different things. One, just creating us. We can, we can worship him for that. But one of the things that always stirs my heart to worship God is the exact opposite of what we see here. We see here the most wretched exchange in all the world. Worshiping the creation instead of the creator. That we would choose sin over God. And this is what's so amazing. Is this is what man does. Guys, listen to this. Listen, this is huge. This is what man does. We take God and we substitute in sin for God. And what God comes and does is he comes and he substitutes himself for our sin. And that is the great exchange. That is the wonderful exchange that he would substitute himself on the cross for our sins that we would have forgiveness. And so we should worship him that we don't fall into these lies. And this morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And what this is, is this is a reminder. Because this, this is a picture of what Christ has done. This is a reminder of the, the great exchange that God exchanged his very life for our wickedness and sin and unrighteousness. So we remember this morning as we take the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, we praise you 
that though we oftentimes exchange you for something so little and something so insignificant, our sins, we substitute you for that. Lord, you came and you ultimately were substituted for our sins and our place for our sins so that we could find forgiveness. And so, Lord, we thank you for that and pray that it would cause us to leave sin behind and to cling to what is right and true. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.